Welcome to Commerce Talks, the retail podcast powered by Teamwork Commerce, the unified commerce platform. We're your hosts, Danny Denigle Antonio. And Tori Beal. Each week, we shed light on the retail landscape, trends, and all things Teamwork Commerce. Whether you're a retailer, partner, or consumer, this podcast is for you. Let's see who we have this week. So with COVID-19, uh, there's been a lot of major impacts, specifically in retail and e-commerce. Uh, but one area that you might not really be considering uh, that the level of impact there is sales tax compliance. Uh, so we're here today uh, joined by uh, Chris Rossani, the Director of Sales with our tax automation partner, Avalara. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Good, Danny. How are you, ma'am? Doing well. Thank you uh, for joining us. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I know everyone's excited to talk about sales tax. So I really want to kind of kick things off by talking a little bit, if we can kind of highlight some of the integration, um, you know, between Teamwork and uh, Avalara. So any order that is obviously paced through Teamwork, the sales tax calculation is already completed automatically to send back to the order. So that way that the retailer is able to capture the right amount of sales tax information. And every customer that has Teamwork Commerce is able to access the cloud-based solution uh, Avatax. Uh, so I first kind of want to start things off by you kind of going through some of the different features of Avatax. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, Avalara is a, we're a software-based, um, cloud-based application um, that connects into a lot of different types of applications, teamwork, commerce being one of those. And the whole idea around our, our platform is that our customers don't need to worry about maintaining everything that goes into tax compliance. Everything from where's the customer located, what are they buying, what state should I be in, which state should I not be in. We automate all of that for our customers uh, through, through our cloud platform. So through this integration and through our partnership, uh, whenever you generate an invoice inside a Teamwork, data gets sent up through an API, which is just a, a piece of software that allows two systems to talk to one another. And it allows Avalara to evaluate what's on that order and then send back to Teamwork in real time a tax calculation. The beautiful part about it is that you never have to maintain anything on your side. If a rate changes or if a rule changes, let's say you move into a new state, there's no research needed on your side. We handle all of that on our end. We capture all of that data in a real-time environment. So we house all of the transactional information that we need, and then we can help our customers on the back end by filing their sales tax returns. We can organize the data that they send to us by filing frequency, which is how often they have to file the return, and by state. So we're able to, to manage that for our customers and then offer them a completely outsourced opportunity to have us file the returns, remit the returns. We actually make payments for our customers. Now, to be clear, Danny, we don't pay the tax for them. They have to give us the money they collected and then we do it. It'd be easier for us to sell the software if we did that. Um, but it, it's really a way for our customers to completely let uh, uh, Avalara take on this business requirement that's getting more and more complex, which we'll get into um, and, and really outsource it to us so they don't need to worry about, you know, what's going on from a sales tax perspective uh, from a manual process on their end. Awesome. And kind of going back to what I mentioned at the very beginning, you know, with COVID-19 um, impacts yep. of 2020 and still ongoing um, right now, what are things that retailers uh, need to be thinking about and considering uh, when building out their strategy? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a huge shift, right? Like think about in your everyday life, how you used to go to brick and mortar locations or you used to be able to go outside and buy stuff. Uh, and now you can't. Um, and in some places you can't even go have dinner anymore. 
Uh, I'm on a first name basis with the delivery guy, with the FedEx guy, UPS and Amazon. Like we're on a first name basis at my house. I mean, I, we just know each other because everyone's coming. So the big shift, Danny, is that retailers are having to go into a market and into an environment where they're having to change the way that they sell to their customers and interact with their customers. Their customers aren't coming to them to buy product that's inside a location or in a small radius of where they live. They're having to order stuff and be at home and rely on that retailer to advertise to them, to market to them, to show their product to them. You can't, you can't even go try on jeans anymore. Like you have to just buy them, take them home. And if they don't fit, you got to go back. No one really wants to do that anymore. So a big impact that retailers have is they're having to shift from what we have been calling a traditional model forever to having to move into more of an, of an e-commerce type environment. That was happening already. Uh, and you guys know that it was retailers were doing that anyway but it became less of an omni-channel thing and more of a, of, of a requirement that they had to go to this e-commerce type setup to where their customers need to get, the, get it at home, get it as quickly as they can, and then have this process around continuing to interact with a customer without being able to see them. That's been a huge shift um, uh, that we've seen and it has impacts as it relates to sales and use tax. And kind of that expanding and you know, retailers you know, sometimes obviously now in the times they're creating those other channels in e-commerce and omni-channel. So with that and talking about another um, factor that came into play back on uh, June 21st of uh, 2018 uh, was uh, South Dakota uh, versus Wayfair, uh, which I believe was a 5-4 Supreme Court um, decision. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the details around that and, and some of the impacts that that's caused and how things are, are, are moving forward and, and retailers are doing. Yeah, absolutely. So really it all starts with this concept called Nexus. Um, and, and Nexus by definition is a requirement of a seller to collect sales tax from a buyer in a specific state. So let's kind of start there with that foundational principle of that requirement. And that requirement is extremely advantageous for a state on average around 25% of a state's revenue is reliant upon sales tax. That's massive. So a state relies on a quarter of its revenue from sales and use tax. It's second only to property tax. Like property tax is obviously the biggest. Sales tax is second. And a lot of people don't understand that. This concept of nexus means that a, if a seller has nexus, it's very easy because they're required to collect tax from the buyer. If the seller doesn't have nexus, then the, the responsibility is on the buyer to actually remit the tax themselves. I live in North Carolina and on my North Carolina income tax return, there's a section on that income tax return that asks me how much product did I buy and didn't pay sales tax? Because what North Carolina wants me to do is to self remit my own sales tax. Like I, I'll go ahead and tell you, I live in North Carolina. I won't tell you where, so you don't have to call the police on me, but I don't self remit. I don't put that number there and no one else does either. So if I, as, as the buyer, if I'm not self-remitting and as the seller, if I'm not collecting, the state misses out on that sales tax revenue. And if it's 25% of its revenue, it can't afford to miss any opportunities to collect that tax. So states are highly incentivized to have as many sellers have this nexus obligation as they possibly can. I give you the context to help explain why South Dakota Wayfair was so important. Prior to June 2018, a seller's requirement to have nexus had to do with its physical presence in a state. So think about a, a piece of property like an office building or a store. 
Think about an employee obligation, inventory. There's all kinds of things that states got creative with to say it's a physical presence. As I kind of alluded to before on how retailers are changing the way they go to market because of COVID, think about the way consumers have changed the way that they started to buy even before the, the pandemic happened. Traditionally, you know, back in the 90s and 80s and a long time ago, you would go to a store. You didn't even want to wait. Like you would, if you wanted something, you went to the store, you bought it, you came home. People started buying things differently now. A lot of people started buying things online even before the pandemic. So when you think about the concept of having sellers collect the tax, if I'm a seller of t-shirts in North Carolina and it's the only place that I live, if I sell to someone that lives in South Carolina or Texas or somewhere across the country, I don't have a requirement to collect tax because I never had physical presence. The reason this ruling is important and how it definitely will impact retailers is this ruling eliminated the requirement around physical presence. I eliminated is a bad word. It enhanced the, the requirement. So not only does a seller now have to have a physical requirement, if they have an economic impact in the state, it can cause a nexus trigger. So what this means to a retailer, the example I gave around me being a t-shirt seller in North Carolina, if I sell a certain dollar amount of my product into a state, that's an obligation for me to get registered inside of that state. That's a big, big impact because as a seller, my internal requirement to manage tax compliance was only one state prior to 2018. It was very easy for me to manage one state. I knew where it was, I knew how to file, I knew the rules, I knew everything. But imagine my t-shirts now being sold across the country in all 50 states. I now have to have an internal requirement of managing one state to managing 46 states. The reason that's a big burden for our sellers is because every single state has different rules. It's not a federal mandated tax, it's a state mandated tax. So the way that North Carolina taxes a specific product or service will be different than a way that, that Seattle would or that Texas would or any other state would tax it differently. So now that becomes a massive internal burden for the seller to have to maintain all of the different content, rates, rules, having to understand how each state manages tax becomes a very big burden for the, for the sellers. So this ruling, has a massive, massive impact on retailers, uh, anyone candidly selling across the country because they now have to be obligated to collect tax on behalf of their sellers in a lot of different places in a lot of different states. That makes a lot of sense. What are some of the tax considerations in an omni-channel environment? Are there special considerations for retailers selling through marketplaces? Give us an idea of that. Yeah, absolutely. So prior to 2018, a lot of the states got really smart with, with going after the marketplaces to have them try to collect the tax. So, you know, you think about your Amazons, Ebays, Walmarts, all of the different marketplaces that sellers will sell on. By definition, a marketplace is, is not necessarily taking on the burden of being the merchant of record. And when I say merchant of record, I essentially mean the person that's responsible for collecting the tax and remitting the tax. They're just providing the platform in which the seller can sell. So what a lot of states have done is they've, they've instituted laws and legislation called marketplace facilitator laws. What it means now is that the sellers, I'm sorry, the states have now gone to the marketplaces and said, Amazon, in order for you to be a marketplace in my state, you're going to be required to collect tax from your seller. You're going to be able, you're going to be required to remit tax on behalf of your seller. So what this means now is if you're in an omni-channel environment and you sell through marketplace, you sell direct through e-commerce, you still have a brick and mortar location, you've now got three different avenues of revenue and three different ways to collect the tax from your, from your buyers. 
if you're in a marketplace state, Amazon's going to collect the tax and remit the tax, but you still have to include that revenue and that tax that was paid on your sales tax return. If you're selling direct to consumer outside the marketplace, you now have to take that same data and combine it on the same tax return. Retail or brick and mortar being the same way. So unfortunately, the states haven't made it to where you get to file a return for each separate omni-channel kind of avenue that you're selling into. It's one return that you have to consolidate all the data into one. But the states have heavily gone after marketplaces, and most states now have a marketplace facilitator law in place where they're not even leaving it up to the seller to maintain it. The marketplace is required to collect it. The marketplace is required to remit it on behalf of the seller. Excellent. So we really kind of been talking a lot about, um, you know, B2C uh, out of the gate here. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, B2B um, selling and selling internationally. uh, What considerations um, do those businesses need? Yeah, let's talk about B2B because that's another big shift that we've seen, uh, especially since the pandemic. You know, I I think about a, a wholesaler or a distributor that has traditionally been, you know, hands off as it relates to, you know, kind of the going after and having to collect documentation from their buyer. To kind of set the stage on why B2B can be a little more cumbersome, uh, it's a requirement in the US for only the end user to pay the tax. And when I say end user, I think about sort of our supply chain. So think about a raw material provider that provides it to a manufacturer, the manufacturer provides it to a wholesaler or distributor, the distributor provides it to the retailer, the retailer then sells it to the end user. Throughout that entire supply chain that I referenced, the only person that pays tax is the end user. But there is a transaction and an invoice that happens for every single one of those transactions. The raw material provider pay or sells their products to the manufacturer. So there's an invoice that happens there in a specific state. Now the burden becomes more of a document because if, the end, if it's not the end user that I'm selling to, I'm not gonna charge them tax because again, the end user is the only one that pays it. But I have to prove, and I have to prove to to the state that the seller that I sold to is in fact tax exempt. They do that through a document called an exempt document. And just like sales tax, every state has a different form and every state has a different way that they collect that form. So the burden going back to the economic nexus thresholds that they could pass, if I'm in one or two states as a wholesaler or a distributor, and I've now gone into multiple states where I sell my product, I now have to maintain documents for a lot of different types of states and a lot of different types of customers. If one were to go through a sales tax audit, this is one of the pieces of low hanging fruit that a sales tax auditor will look for. Because what will happen is as that seller to a non-taxable buyer, I have to prove that the piece of paper that I collected at the time of that transaction was valid, correct, and is still valid today. The problem in a B2B space is that they're onboarding customers all the time. We hope they are at least. They're onboarding new customers that are tax exempt constantly. And they're having to collect this piece of paper from that seller, I'm sorry, from that buyer and store it somewhere because the sales tax auditor is not gonna automatically show up on the door and look for it the day that they obtain it. So they have to keep that document as sort of an insurance policy. The only reason that document would ever come back to be bad news for our seller is if they they can't produce it to the auditor when it comes time. So what we've seen in the B2B space is this massive requirement to now manage documents. Some companies do it very well. Some sellers, they have it in a digital format. They run through it very cleanly. They're able to store it in a place where they can easily access it. However, some customers are not able to do that. Some sellers are still keeping that piece of paper in a filing cabinet, in a banker's box, in some basement, in some warehouse. 
So that document, when it comes time to go through a sales tax audit is causing a problem for them. Some states make it difficult for these documents because they have an expiration date and a shelf life. The state of Florida, for example, has a requirement where if I collected a certificate from the customer today, that certificate expires 12 months from today. So if I'm obtaining documents throughout the year, I have to keep some sort of tracker in place that shows when these certificates expire and when they don't. If I start, if I continue to sell tax exempt to a customer with an invalid certificate, as the seller, the burden's on me now. I would now have to go back to my customer after the fact to ask for a document to get updated, or unfortunately, I'm liable for the tax that I didn't collect as the seller. In a B2B market in this environment with South Dakota Wayfair passing and economic nexus laws, there is a tremendous burden on the seller to have a process in which they can maintain documents and keep those documents in a way where they continue to live and can report against so you're not caught with an exposure point. So you also mentioned international, Danny. You can jump into the international piece for yeah. us. Yeah. That's also another, uh, another wrinkle. If you guys can't tell yet, sales tax can get very complicated. Um, so it's, it kind of speaks to, speaks, to, speaks to who we are and speaks to hopefully why we're having the podcast. So let's think about international. So there's a couple of things to think about specifically for retailers as it relates to an international transaction. I'll talk about the, the actual tax requirement for the invoice in a second. But one thing to think about is this process of landed cost and of some sort of cross-border tax that would happen between the, the, two, the two countries. So at its simplest form, think about a tariff. Think about a, a cost that it means to have this docket or this product landed in the US. So if I'm importing a lot of material from overseas, once it hits the US, there is a cost associated to that product hitting U.S. soil. Most of the time, that burden is on the buyer to be, quote unquote, surprised at what that cost would look like. Let's say you use a shipper like UPS or DHL or FedEx. Most of the time, that shipper, when they deliver it to you from an international buy, they have to collect that landed cost tax from that buyer at the time of, of them picking it up. In order for a retailer to sort of put themselves above the competition, a really good advantage they can give their customers is a full view of what they can expect to pay in the purchase of the product. Imagine buying something and you think it costs $100, but Amazon shows up at your door and puts it at the front porch and they ask for $20 for them to release the product. It's not a really good buying experience for the customer. So this idea of landed cost and this idea of understanding the changing tariffs between the two countries is something that a retailer needs to understand in an international buy. There's something called HS code classifications, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but in order for a country to identify which tax and which landed cost to apply, it's tagged with a specific code, and it's all over the map as to what the code is. A shoe is coded one way versus a pair of shorts that's recorded another way. So another burden that a retailer may have to be faced with is understanding what those HS codes mean. Once it hits the soil of the other country, then you have to think about what the requirement is to that seller to get registered in that country. In the same way that the US has a requirement around economic thresholds by state, different countries have requirements around when you need to get registered, for lack of better words, in that state to collect their tax. Europe is a great example and one of the easiest ones for me to talk about. They collect what's called VAT, value added tax. VAT from a calculation perspective is relatively simple in that it's not complicated with different types of rates and different decimal points and this and that. It's typically a flat rate that gets charged across the country. And every single person pays a piece of the pie. 
In the US, I mentioned that only the end user pays the tax, but in the value added tax system, every single person throughout the supply chain pays it simple piece. The complicated thing that a retailer needs to understand for international buy is the registration requirement, because a lot of those countries will require what's called fiscal representation, which means they can't just go get registered in the state without some sort of agent boots on the ground in that country. So they either have to have an employee that lives in the country or they have to hire a third party to be that fiscal representation in that country. Once they're registered in the country and they're starting to collect the tax, which is typically simple, the remittance piece becomes complex for those VAT, uh, for the VAT countries. It's cumbersome with more documentation and it requires that seller to really go through sort of a document and sort of a cumbersome process around filling out paperwork to get the document filed or to get the taxes filed. It can get more complex with countries like, like Brazil. Brazil uh, is one of the only countries that's harder than the US. Uh, every other country makes it seem pretty simple, but Brazil is pretty tough. One of the most complex things about Brazil is a seller has to remit in real time. So if I'm, if I'm uh, selling something to one of my buyers, as soon as I collect the $3 in tax, I have to API automatically to the Brazilian government. So that's an incredibly complex system that requires the seller to not hold the money, but they have to remit as soon as they can to the government, which causes, again, a, a huge burden from, from an international perspective. So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to think about and a lot to consider when you, when you think about where you're selling. Yeah, I think you've uh, given a lot of uh, transparency to the uh, the complexity and and what and what retailers uh, need to be yeah. thinking about, you know, as they you know in their current footprint and as they're you know expanding their their current footprint, um, you yeah. know, whether that's across state lines or um, across the uh, bodies of water. Um, yeah, man, I'm really fun, fun at parties. Too. I'm really fun at parties when people ask me what I do for a living. I'm, I'm really fun. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, actually, and it was really. I, I opening for me too. I, I saw a report um, a few days ago uh, that was comparing May of 2020 to May of 2019. And there was a steep decline of the amount of uh, state revenue um, yep. from the sales tax. It was about 21% decline, I, I believe, um, May of last year compared to uh, even 09 in the same month. What are some of the challenges and changes as far as like the compliance um, that states are holding uh, these retailers uh, accountable for? And is there really a, a, more of a focus now more than ever uh, on that sales tax revenue? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I mean, just like, just like you guys, just like every retailer that's probably listening to this, we've all been affected by, by the pandemic that's happening. You, you've seen a reduction in, in your customer base. You've seen a reduction in and the amount of revenue that you're bringing in. You've seen a reduction in the amount of people that are interacting with you. We've all seen it, not only personally, but professionally. You've seen a huge impact on your life on how this pandemic is affecting you. The states are, are just like every other business. They need revenue just like we do. What they do with the revenue is a different topic for a different podcast that we won't even get into at this point. But the states are losing money just like you guys are. So just like you had to adjust your business and adjust the way that you go to market, the states are going to have to do the same. They're going to have to make up this revenue. Keep in mind, 25% of the revenue they rely on comes from sales tax. What we anticipate seeing is states becoming more and more aggressive against retailers in enforcing these nexus laws and these nexus triggers. You can't really say that you don't understand that you had to have the nexus obligation because it's been around for two and a half years now. So what, a state, what states will do, we anticipate they will do, is they'll ramp up their auditing staff. 
They'll start looking at retailers that are traditionally selling across state lines, and they'll try to look at historical data to see when they in fact crossed the threshold. When they crossed the threshold is when they were, were required to get registered and collect the tax. So if I'm a seller that should have been registered in the state for the last two years, and I haven't been collecting tax for my customers, well, unfortunately, that seller is on the hook for all the revenue that they tried to collect from that state or from that buyer and didn't pay the tax. So it could be a huge burden now on the seller that may think that this won't affect me. And that's kind of what we hear sometimes. Well, I'll deal with it when they catch me. That's, that's risky business. That's really trying to understand your risk tolerance. You know, I make a mortgage payment because I know they won't come take my house. So I know the real consequence. The real consequence and not staying up to date with all the changing rules is that eventually states are going to have to react and make up the revenue that they're missing because of the pandemic. It's not a matter of if, it's not a matter, it's a matter of when. I don't wanna scare people and don't wanna kind of be the doom and gloom guy, um, but it's highly important for a retailer to understand their requirements from a nexus perspective so they can understand what they're up against from a risk tolerance perspective. You know, when we really think about the different states as well, um, they're having to strategize, like you said, um, very differently. You know, being here in Florida, obviously we count a lot on, you know, hospitality and tourism, you know, people and coming and spending their money and things like that. So that's added sales tax that they're counting on every year and things like that. And there's other states, states alike, um, you know, that are counting on that type of a, a bucket of revenue and where they're getting it from. Uh, so it's, it's just very interesting um, all around. Yep. Yep. I mean, they're going to have to get more creative on what they tax. So if, if Florida relies on hospitality and tourism, then they're gonna to have to change the way they tax on groceries, on gas, on the things that people that live in Florida buy every day, they're gonna to have to make it up somewhere. Yeah, it's a change of categories too. That Absolutely. they're looking at for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For a business to stay ahead of this and stay ahead of the penalties, where do they begin uh, to understand this about how to become compliant so that way they don't risk this liability? Yeah, yeah, sure. So selfishly, we want you to call Avalara. Um, cause, cause we can help you with that. Um, but I don't, I don't want it to be a sales pitch. So it's, it's education. Um, we can share some, some, uh, some links and some content with you that aren't Avalara specific. Some are Avalara specific. So just to be fair, some are not, um, it's education, Tori. It's, it's be becoming educated on what your requirements are. The States have done a good job of publicizing what those requirements look like. And the requirements are across the board. In California and Texas, you have to sell half a million dollars to, to cross the threshold. But in Kansas, $1 is enough to cross the threshold. Every single outside seller that sells into Kansas has to get registered. And so all of the states have done a really good job of, under, of kind of helping the, tax, the seller understand what those requirements look like. So my advice is to stay ahead of it is to get educated. Hopefully this podcast is a good, is a good jumping off point to that. We offer some, some content, again, as I mentioned on avalera.com that lists every single state and what those requirements are. And you can click on them and see those requirements by state. We offer a free risk, uh, a free nexus tool where you can give sales data from a historical perspective into some sort of widget. And that widget will show our, to our, um, our customer where they have nexus. So there's a lot of tools and there's a lot of stuff out there to help, help, tax, or help sellers get notified and help them get educated as to what they wanna do. So education, Tori, that's the key. Education, education, education. Certainly. And before we uh, close things out, Chris, you know, really appreciate the perspective here today. Uh, I did have one final question and it may uh, require you to put your, your sales cap on for a second. Oh, um, man. All right. We're <laughs> I'm going to make you do end, it. So yes. We're almost at the um, end, so I hope we got to get this <laughs> 
so looking, you know, for if, you know, retailers, you know, they're obviously looking to um, make the, the complex um, tax sales tax situation uh, simplistic. Uh, why is uh, Avalara uh, their best option uh, for automating that? Yeah. So initially it's, it's our partnership with teamwork. So we have a pre-built certification between the two applications. So at the risk of making it sound too simple, there's really not a whole lot that needs to happen from an IT perspective. I'm not an IT guy. I sell software because my background's tax. But man, if you ask me to go write the software, uh, you wouldn't want to buy our stuff. So our primary, the, the primary focus and the primary reason that, that they should consider using Avalara is our relationship with, with Teamwork. We have that integration already built in, and we just need to, to have the content passing back and forth to make it work, and that's already there. The second reason is that we're able to maintain all of this for our customers in real time without our customers having to do it. We don't need our customer to go and say, hey, this, the rule changed in Texas. It changes tomorrow. I better go in and make sure I make that change inside of Teamwork. You don't need to do that. We've got a content team that updates our tax engine 24-7, 365, and we're able to make sure that our customers have the appropriate tax calculation no matter when it is, and we guarantee it. We're one of the few tax providers that will actually guarantee our rate calculations to ensure that they're correct. Another thing that Avalara does for its customers is we track their economic nexus footprint in real time. So even if they're not registered in a specific state, we still can see all of the transactional history that that customer or that that seller has for all the states. We alert our customers when they reach 80% of a specific threshold. So we're constantly monitoring our customers' transactional data so we can understand when they're getting close to those thresholds. So they can take action. And Tori, as you mentioned before, how do our how do your how do people stay ahead of it? They use Avalara. Sorry, Danny, you told me to put the cat on the hat on. So I put the hat on. <laughs> they use us because we maintain that for them and we keep them up to date on what that looks like. We manage certificates for our customers. We talked about the B2B environment a second ago. We have a module in which we can automatically take in those certificates. We can stamp an, ex an expiration date on those certificates and alert our customer as to when they're becoming expired. We can actively in an automated fashion reach out to customers that have upcoming certificates that are being expired and go through an email campaign, much like a lot of the retailers are using to reach out to their customers with abandoned carts and et cetera. We can reach out to customers in an automated way through an email campaign that gives those customers a chance to collect a new certificate without our sellers having to reach out and call them and email them and call them and email them to get the form. I already mentioned about our returns filing. So we, at the end of the day, we can file remit and, and, and remit the tax on behalf of our customers. So in short, because of the relationship with Teamwork, because of that pre-built integration, our customers and your customers are able to offload this entire obligation to Avalara and have a real end-to-end -end solution compliance or tax solution compliance as it relates to sales tax. So really, they don't need to worry about the internal burden. They still have to collect the tax. They still have to charge their customer the tax and they still have the requirement. But if they're using an application like Avalara, there's no internal burden on them, one, doing it wrong and two, maintaining all of the stuff internally for really a non-revenue generating activity. Chris, I definitely appreciate your compelling uh, insight into uh, sales tax uh, automation. Um, as Chris mentioned before, you guys can go to avalara.com. There's a lot of uh, resources available to you to continue um, educating yourselves uh, as you need to fit your business needs. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yep. Thanks, guys. 
that's going to do it for this episode of Commerce Talks. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to check out the blog for this episode at teamworkcommerce.com slash blog and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks again for listening. Tori and I will catch you next week.